guess we should have had you stand. <laughs> we'll stand in honor of the word, reading of God's word. What a fitting song, chorus, to sing before our message this morning. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. I want Christ, because when all is said and done, He is the only thing that's going to last, isn't it? Paul had taken Jesus to people, and they wanted to add something to His finished work, but you can't add anything to Jesus. Let's read from Acts chapter 15, verses 19 through 35. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted from idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogue every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren that are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men with you, our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they'd stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. You may be seated. Can hear me? How about now? 
Still can't hear me. How about now? That better? Can you hear me now? Yeah. How about now? That's even better yet. That uh, Patrick just read for us, or we're going to be this morning. Uh, and it's obvious we're looking at the correspondence between the church at Jerusalem and the churches at Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. A correspondence that's between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile regarding this very important question of what is necessary for salvation. There would be no more important question than that, hey? Jesus says to the woman at the well, salvation is of the Jews, hey? But is it, or, yeah, but must someone, must one become a Jew to be saved? And the apostles answer that question. The congregation at Antioch and beyond there will be blessed to hear what um, this delegation that's sent has to say and what is written in that letter. And um, this really is going to set the stage for Paul's second missionary journey as well. And I want to set the stage for today's message by sharing with you a trip that Cindy and I recently took. You know that um, we had to be quarantined for a little bit. We could be praying for the for the mission and for Judy. Uh, none of them have COVID. There was one individual, and in they're not at the mission, but because of that, they're in a lockdown for a few days here. But we could be praying for them. Um, but Cindy and I went on a little uh, day trip to that uh, migratory bird refuge, which Cindy is unable to say. I'm going to tease you, Cindy. <laughs> she calls it the purgatory <laughs> or something like that. It just cracks me up, but we, we love going there. I love going there and driving around. And, and when we do that, uh, Kirk and Robin, you guys and Cindy and I went out there and, and got to drive around there. And we've talked about kayaking out there and, and seeing what that would be like. And, and I've thought about that, what, what it would be like. And Cindy and I were talking about it. We might do it yet, but we thought, you know, how easy would it be to get lost in there? You can see the mountains, but if you were down in a kayak and you got in that tall grass, you might you might not be able to. You might get lost, not be able to see the forest for the trees. And I want to relate that to your spiritual life. It might seem that way if you have yet to trust Christ that, that you're just lost. You're in the weeds and you just can't see from where you're at to where God is. And you might be a believer here today and your spiritual life has just become dry and, and you just can't see through that grass. You can't see the mountains. You can't see the forest for the trees. It's, it's been said, hey, and I hope this message will be a blessing for you if, if you're in one of those places today. And even beyond that, just be an encouragement to us. Um, you know, the story of the gospel is not the story of concealing truth, but the story of revealing truth. Certainly there are some things that we cannot know about God. In Isaiah 55, Isaiah, uh, is it's the Lord speaking, and he says, uh, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. There are things with regard to God and the things we can know about God that are a little bit beyond finding out, but there are some wonderful things that God would have us to know. And I, I just thought I would just open with this. I think it's so important before we get into the meat of this message today to grab hold of these things. The things that God would have us to know, and this is just a short list. I have eight of them here. 
God would have us to know that He is. That He exists. Eh? That He is God. That He alone is God. And He's placed that evidence within each and every one of us. Romans chapter 1 and verse 19 tells us that. There truly are no atheists. There are people that reject that truth, but there are no atheists. God would have us know, a second thing God would have us know, He would have us know of His glory and His holiness. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. One of the things I like about going out to that purgatory, as Cindy refers to it, the migratory bird refuge, is, is the view from there is just beautiful. There's all kinds of birds, different colors, different shapes, different sizes, different beaks, different legs, and then the grass and the water and the sky and the mountains from that perspective are just beautiful. The heavens declare the glory of God. God would have us know that. He would have us know that He is, and He would have us know something of His glory and His holiness. He would have us know that He is the Creator. Psalm 100 and verse 3 says, It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. God has made us. God would have us to know that. He has created us. We haven't invented God. He created us. God would have us to know that. I would have us to know. If your phone is on, you might want to turn it off now. <laughs> um, God would have us to have an understanding of eternity as well. That's something that God would have us to know. God has placed eternity in the heart of man, it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11. We have an understanding given by God that this is not all there is. And that understanding should drive us toward God. God would have us to know that there is an eternity to be considered. This world isn't all there is. God would have us to know three things with regard to Jesus and His cross, His death and burial and resurrection. He would have us to know of sin, that we're sinners. And He would have us to know of righteousness. We are not righteous, but Christ was. And of judgment. Christ rose again and He's coming again someday. And when He comes again, He's not coming as He did the last time as a baby in the manger. He's coming in judgment, eh? He would have us, God would have us to know these things. We can't know everything there is to know about God. We're so limited in our understanding of Him. He is an infinite being. He is awesome. And we sing His praises for what we can know and do know about Him. He would have us to know these things. There's one more thing I'd like to share with you that He would have us to know, and that's what we're talking about this morning. He would have us to know the way of salvation. God would have us to know that. He's not concealing that. He has revealed that to us. He would have us to know the way of salvation. This section in the book of Acts uh, that um, Patrick has read for us, Acts 15, 19-35, really began back in Acts 13. I'd ask you to turn there. Acts chapter 13 Verse 1 and 2. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there 
prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Saul there is the Apostle Paul. Verse 2, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The section of Scripture we've had read for us this morning, and I hope you followed along, the section of Scripture we're looking at this morning really began back here. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work which I have for them to do. And Paul and Barnabas have been engaged in that work. And that's what we've been looking at for some weeks now. They've been actively involved in those things since that point. And they've completed their first missionary journey. And they've came back and reported uh, all that God had done through them and how He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. That's what they say in chapter 14 in verse 27. At the close of their first missionary journey, this is what their report is. It's about all that God had done through them. You know, that really is the story of the book of Acts. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but really, it could be called that, the story of the Acts of what God had done through them. Okay? It's the story of that, what God had done through them. That statement is repeated a few times in just these few chapters that we've, that we've been looking at. But this had to be especially exciting for Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts. Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. He's the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. And he is writing this down. All that God had done through them and how He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Luke would be one of these individuals to whom the door of faith had been opened by God. What a powerful truth that would have to be to him as he wrote those words. Now, I realize this is a long introduction, and just hang with me here. Um, now, we may have the idea that since it was God who had sent them out, Paul and Barnabas, they should have had no troubles. Hey? They should have had a trouble-free time of it. But that's not what we found. We see that they were opposed. They were chased out of town. They were chased after into the next town. Paul was stoned. And other things, other difficulties they had along the way. And just, just, just take note here about this. An effective ministry is not without its challenges. Hey? And neither is the Christian life without its challenges. In fact, if you'd look in chapter 14 and verse 21, Paul says that to those who had come to faith in Christ. Acts 14.21 says, After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. But he goes on to say in verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them, when it goes on to say, Luke records, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 
or they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. I just want you to latch hold of that statement. They committed them or commended them to the Lord into whom they had put their trust. Paul and Barnabas are convinced that these Gentiles are believers. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. So when we come to Acts chapter 15, and there are these certain men that come and say, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. What Paul and Barnabas hear these men saying is, those Gentiles are not saved. No wonder in chapter 15 and verse 2 it says, when Paul and Barnabas heard this, they had great dissension and debate with them. This would have disturbed them greatly. They dispute with them. So we come to chapter 15, and there's 41 verses in chapter 15. 32 of these verses, beginning at verse 1, and we could touch on verse 5 in a second here. 32 of these verses deal primarily with just this one question. What is necessary for salvation? What is needed? Now the message Patrick preached last week, and it was a wonderful message. Thank you for that message, Patrick. He touched on on what was needed for salvation. He spoke right to that. His message was this, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He spoke on the purity and the power and the simplicity of the gospel. It was a message on the sufficiency of grace and the importance of not yielding as we contend for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is what is necessary for salvation. You cannot add anything to the gospel. I was preparing for that same message but found out I probably shouldn't come and I would have worded it this way. When it comes to salvation, it is the gospel without exception. Okay, A little play on words. It is the gospel without exception. There's no gospel plus. If you've trusted Jesus, you are saved. Now that answers that doctrinal question. But this chapter continues. It goes on in verses 19 through 35, those verses that we just looked at. And the narrative continues. And I think Luke would have his reader to know a few things. And these are those things. That this question was taken very seriously. He would have his reader to know that. That this question was taken very seriously. I can't think of a more important thing to figure out. Hey, I was talking about those kayaks out in those reeds. And, 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 if, and if that's how you perceive your spiritual life, even as a believer right now, and God just seems distant from you and you can't find your way out of that reed, those reeds, you'd want to you'd know how to get back, hey? You'd want to know how to get back. So this question is taken very seriously. And the church at Jerusalem, the apostles and the elders and the brothers, the church there, the congregation there, their response was not handled in a cavalier or off-handed way. That's something else Luke would have his reader to know. They didn't just, hey, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Here's a note about that. Deal with it. It wasn't like that. Eh? Now, 
They didn't just wing it when dealing with this important truth. They addressed the doctrinal truth, and they also touch on the practical implications of that truth. And in their response, they seem to have some goals set before them. And that's what I've noticed in this text here, 19 through 35. There are these goals they have set before them as they respond to the Gentiles about what is necessary for salvation. In answering the doctrinal question, they see some practical implications, and they're touching on them. They're going to speak the truth, and we are to speak the truth, but we are to speak the truth in love, right? Can't decide how high to make this thing. We're to speak the truth in love. And as you look at this church at Jerusalem and their considerations of this question, we see that's what they're doing. They're going to speak the truth to these Gentile believers, but they're going to speak the truth in love. And it is tremendous what they say. And their correspondence, or their response, if you will, is in the form of a letter and in the form of a delegation. And, and, and as they send off that letter and that delegation, we see them speaking the truth to them in love. They don't just state facts to them. But in the presentation of the truth, they seem to have these underlying good and godly goals. Good and godly goals in the presentation of truth. And that's what I want to speak about today. That gets to the heart of this message, okay? It brings us right to verse 19. Four goals in the presentation of truth. We want to share truth with people. We want to be truthful with people. We have God's truth within us, and we have opportunities sometimes to share that truth. And I hope that maybe as we look at this, this might help you to do that in, in a more effective way, to share the truth in love in a more effective way. Four goals in the presentation of truth. You know, anyone that's a, a father that's here this morning and is a believer, God's word says we ought not to exasperate our children. And we know that we can speak the truth through our children sometimes, but we don't necessarily do it in love, and that becomes an exasperation to them. Hey? But we're to speak the truth in love. So four things or four goals in the presentation of truth that, that would be an expression of love. The first one is this, the removing or the avoiding of any confusion. When you're going to speak the truth and you're going to speak the truth in love, you want to remove and or avoid any confusion. And I see that's what the apostles and the elders in this congregation have in mind. They want to avoid any confusion. When it comes to the, under, the, the understanding of salvation that these Gentiles have, they want to clear away any possibility of confusion. In verse 19, it's James who's speaking, and he says this, Therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. He does not want to trouble them or to harass them or to annoy them. He doesn't want to exasperate them with the truth. He, he wants them to know the truth. He wants to clear away any, any confusion from the truth. He wants it to be uncluttered. And even though it's just James saying this, they're all in agreement with him. In verse 22, it says that they're all in agreement about this when they write this letter. When it came to their salvation, the salvation of these Gentiles, 
and their assurance of it, they didn't want there to be any confusion. Here, here, just think of it. Here is this Gentile believer who has come to faith in Christ, and they know whom they have believed. And someone comes along and says, you might not be saved yet. You can't be saved unless. Here's a new believer here in that. It's going to bring doubts. It's, it's going to unsettle their souls, and that's exactly what it does. Because in the letter, that's, that's what they say. We heard that some came and spoke words to you that, was, that were unsettling to your soul. They're dealing with them at the level of the soul. You know what the soul is? Your inmost being. The person I know best in this room is Cindy. We've been together a long time, 37 years married, a year dating. We, we know each other well. I know her best. But at the level of the soul, how many people do we really know? They're dealing with them at the level of the soul, their inmost being. Before God, it, have I done what is necessary for salvation is the question on the mind of these Gentile believers and their Jewish brothers and sisters don't want them to have any confusion about it. So one of their goals in the presentation of this truth is the removing of and the avoiding of any confusion. In chapter 15, verse 1, it's unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. In chapter 15, verse 5, there's some Pharisees that come and say, it is necessary to circumcise them and direct them to observe the law of Moses. They want them to be confident in their salvation when it comes to proclaiming the truth of it. They want to remove confusion. I'm, I'm saying the same thing, I know. But the church at Jerusalem is aware that this question has been unsettling to their soul. You know, when Paul writes his letter to the Galatians, he's writing in large part on this same subject. Some of the same thoughts have come in there. You've got to be circumcised to be saved. And in Galatians 1.7, Paul writes, Evidently, some are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't want them to be confused. These believers at Jerusalem don't want the believers at Antioch and those other Gentile churches to be confused. They want to just do away with any confusion with regard to your salvation. Yeah, circumcision of the heart. Amen, Jeremy. Amen. In... In Colossians chapter 4 and verses 3 and 4, Paul is asking for prayer that a door may be opened for the word that he might have opportunity to speak forth the mystery of Christ and that he would proclaim it clearly as he should. Patrick and I pray this every Sunday morning, something like this, that we would proclaim the word of God clearly that there'd be no confusion. We strive for that. The, the, Jew, the Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem is striving to make certain that the Gentiles are not confused about what is necessary for salvation and that it's Christ alone. Christ plus nothing. 
And the reason you can't add anything to it is because you've got nothing to add. Any good thing you have, he's given to you. What are you going to give him? Nothing. James acknowledges in verse 19 that these Gentiles have turned to God. In verse 11, it's through faith in Jesus. They, they recognize that. There it's, it's Peter speaking. Verse 11 of chapter 15, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. And so when they open this letter in verse 23, they're going to send this letter off, right? Look what the first thing they say is. You're a Gentile believer. You've got questions about your salvation. At the end of this letter, it says they're rejoicing about what they read, right? You've got questions about your salvation. This letter's going to be read, and here's the first thing you hear. And they sent this letter by them, the apostles and the brethren, who are the elders, to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles. Greetings. I heard your emphasis when you read that. They're calling these Gentile believers brothers. You are one with us. What a beautiful thing. They're speaking the truth to them and they're speaking the truth in love. You haven't missed it. You haven't missed the mark. There's, there's nothing more you can add. You're saved. That's what, that's what they're saying to them. They're acknowledging their salvation. When, when the Gentile believers read that, they don't have any confusion about what's being said. My brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem recognize I am one of them. Not as a Jew, but as a believer in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for that. So that's the first thing. The first goal in the presentation of truth, when we, when we want to present the truth to someone, we should avoid any confusion. It's important. It's an important thing to think about. So the second thing is, as they have this opportunity, they want to express their genuine concern for them. Their genuine concern. You've heard it said, people don't care how much you know until, you know, until they know how much you care, Right? They are expressing a genuine concern for these fellow believers in these Gentile churches, a genuine loving concern for them. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 3, Peter speaks of false teachers, and he says they will exploit you with false words. That, that's, that's false teaching, hey? It's exploited. They exploit people with false words. But here, in this presentation of truth, or this proclamation of truth, this letter they send, there's no exploitation. There's only expressions of genuine concern, genuine love for fellow believers. There's, there's genuine love for the congregation, that, that, that would involve all these Gentile believers. He called, they call them brothers. I already said that. They acknowledge in verse 24 that this disturbance was caused in their minds and in their souls. And in verse 25, they share with them their concern for them. It seemed good to us, having become of one mind 
It seemed good to us. We've considered this, and we've considered you, and we've thought about you. It seemed good to us to express these things to you. And they're concerned with the individual souls there. Again, it disturbed their souls and settled their souls. So they send men, Paul and Barnabas, men who have risked their lives for the gospel. When, when they write that, I think what they're saying is, we want to affirm in you the truth that you know is in you. We want to affirm that. So they do that by letter and by spoken word through Paul and Barnabas and the other two that they send. Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas. They express genuine concern. A third thing, this one's a little longer. A third thing that should accompany sound doctrine, that should accompany sound doctrine, is to instill confidence. To instill confidence. They want to instill confidence. You know, maintaining confidence in what you believe or in who you believe, it comes up in Scripture, in the New Testament. It's an important aspect of our Christian life. How many of us have been blessed by the words of Paul in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it? How many of us have been blessed by that word? How many of us have had that confidence in our salvation restored just by those simple words of Paul saying, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you is going to complete it. He's not finished with he yet. That, that gal in the missions moment was expressing that. I'm a work in progress. Hebrews 10.35, the writer of Hebrews says, so don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. When sharing truth with believers, truth they need to hear, it should instill confidence in what they have believed, in whom they have believed. It should bolster the confidence in two ways. This is going to bolster their confidence in two ways, when they send this letter and when they send the delegation. This letter is not only going to bolster the confidence of these believers here, Paul's going to take this letter with him when he goes on his second missionary journey. Look at six, Acts 16, verse 4. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been de decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. Look what it says in verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith. What happens when you're strengthened in your faith? What happens? You grow bolder. You have more confidence in whom you have believed, in what you have believed. You know, there were these false teachers that came. These Judaizers. And they had shaken their confidence. They had discouraged their growth, stolen their joy, disturbed their minds, unsettled the soul, and had been the cause of divisions. And this letter, this letter, verse 23 through 29, those words would be the antidote to all of that. To all of it. 
How so? How is this, this short letter an antidote to all of that? It reminds them of the truth, yeah. It reminds them of the truth. In it, they dismiss the, they dis, in this letter, they dismiss the notion that these Gentiles are not saved by calling them brethren. And they discredit those who have taught falsely by saying, we did not send them. And they, do a, and they do away with the notion that there is any division between Jew and Gentile in the Christian church by expressing the thought of unity. They have unity about what they send, and we have unity with you. You're our brothers. And they deal with the what now? If that's the case, then how do we interact with one another? What does that look like? For Gentiles, they're Jews. They're circumcised. They eat different foods than we do. What do we do with that? Yeah, you love them anyway. And that's where they're going to go with this letter. Thanks for that, Jeremy. Amen. This, this letter is going to provide the confidence they need in their relationships within those churches. Which is going to be a mixed group of people, which most churches are, hey? A mixed group of people, and we're to love each other anyway. So it bolsters their confidence through the sending of this letter, and it bolsters their confidence through the sending of this gifted delegation. These, these are gifted men, leading men among the brethren. We know that Paul and Barnabas are gifted men. They're going to hear by the word of mouth what they would have heard in those letters, and they're going to hear some other things as well. I think they're going to hear the details of the deliberations that the church underwent to come to these conclusions. And in there, there's something, a few, something wonderful to consider. And it's something else that would instill this confidence is the authority that is behind their conclusions. We're saying that you guys are saved and we recognize that and we love you and we are concerned for you and we care about you. And there's weight behind it. There's authority behind it. Those false teachers came and they said in verse 24, we didn't send them. In other words, they had no authority. But look at three elements of authority that these people would have heard by word of mouth from Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Judas. The first thing would be the authority of Scripture. That's obvious. Back in verse 15, James quotes Scripture, and he begins in verse 15 with this. With this, the words of the, the prophets agree. In other words, your salvation is in accordance with all of Scripture. That has authority to it. That's authoritative. If you're here today and you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, your salvation is in line with all of Scripture. You haven't missed it. You haven't, you haven't been confused. You haven't followed a cleverly devised fable. It was God's plan of salvation, and you, you're in the right place, and you've trusted the right word, and you've trusted the right Savior. There's only one Savior, and Jesus is it. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You haven't missed it. So they bring the authority of Scripture to bear on it. What James is saying essentially when he quotes Amos there, 
what he's saying essentially is the Word of God has authenticated your Christian experience. Now, you have to be careful not to try and get that the other way around. I think sometimes too often we do that. But when the Word of God authenticates your Christian experience, what a beautiful thing. When I first got saved, I didn't know these verses existed. For when you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. But those things happened to me in real time, and that salvation was instantaneous. Not everyone feels it, but I felt it. Instant change. I had believed for some time, and God gave me the opportunity to confess with my mouth. And hmm, I can't describe to you the joy that came over my soul. Well, I could try, but we'd be here a long time. I get excited about that. But this delegation of gifted men would have been such a, an encouragement and would instill confidence in them, not only the letter, but these men and the words they had to share. And one of the things they would have to share is that your Christian experience is authenticated by the Word of God. Your salvation experience is authenticated by Scripture. Something else with regard to that, you know, it's okay to come with doctrinal questions. They came with a doctrinal question, and people do. I'm thinking of someone, you don't know this individual, but I'm thinking of someone I've been praying for for a while. He's got all these doctrinal questions, but he goes to the wrong place for the answer. When you have a doctrinal question, where do you go? We're studying it in Sunday school. We go to the, we go to the Word of God. We go to the Word of God. It's okay to come with your questions, but you've got to find the answers in the right place. So that's one uh, source of authority. The other source of authority is the apostles themselves. You know, it's clear that Peter and Paul are not Judaizers. They're not adding things to the gospel. And James is not spiritualizing Scripture. And I could run on with that. But he gives practical instruction, hey, in light of spiritual truth. The message from them is like this. We don't question your salvation at all. But because you are saved, you ought to live a life worthy of the gospel. That's what they're saying to them. And we want to give you some instruction with regard to how you can best do that in the environment, the church environment you find yourself in. It's this loving, wonderful message that would have instilled such confidence in them. They don't have confidence. How do I interact with my Jewish brother and sister? How do I do that? How does my Jewish brother and sister interact with me? What does that look like? And you know, God's word is so full of instruction for us when we come and we're a mixed group of people. How do we interact with one another? Well, where do we look to find out, right? Right here. God's Word has so much to say about that. We're to esteem one another as better than ourselves. We're to lift one another up in prayer. Look, we could go on a long ways here, but the Bible is, the New Testament is full of instruction about how to do that. We've got our thoughts about it. And we've, we've got our patterns, our life patterns that we've brought from before we were saved sometimes, and we bring that into our Christian experience, and that's how we find ourselves interacting with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're defeated. They want to instill such confidence in them that they would not have defeat when they're interacting with one another in this transitional time, in, in this time when there's, there's possibility for such tension. Who are all these Gentiles that God is saving? Amen. And the Gentiles would be thinking, look at these Jewish guys. Should we be more like them? 
at the foods they eat. Look at the things they do. <laughs> but but they, has, they, they have the, these two elements of authority, these two sources of authority. The authority of Scripture, the authority of the apostles. The apostles put their seal of approval on this letter, along with the elders and the entire church. And they have the authority of the Holy Spirit. The authority of the Holy Spirit is in this letter. Look at chapter 15. Again, verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no other burden than these. They don't want to burden them. They're saying the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to be burdened. I think it would be a source of, uh, of confidence for them too that, 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 that this whole group of guys, the, the, the apostles, the elders, the whole Jewish congregation was of one mind. I think that would be a source of confidence as well. Okay, to the last point. This one's shorter. Four, four goals when four goals or four things to think about when presenting truth when proclaiming truth this fourth one is this the promotion of unity when, when, when presenting truth it ought to promote unity you know, Acts has been called a transitional book and so it is here is the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, from law to grace, from shadow to substance, from exclusion to inclusion, from glory to glory. It's a transitional book. They've got so many things they'd be wrestling with that we don't in this congregation. And yet they call these Gentiles brothers. As I was studying for this, I got to thinking about the instructions they give them, and I picked up Warren Wearsby's commentary. And when I did that, I was so blessed because I thought, oh, that's kind of neat. He went the same place I did with it. Not exactly the same words, not the same structure, but the same place. It was a blessing. But he says this with regard to what they, these instructions. He gives them two commands, and I believe it to be true. He gives them two commands and two concessions to follow. Two commands to live by. And the first one is to avoid idolatry. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, says in verse 28, and to us to lay, to, to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. What a weird mixed bag of things to share with them from our perspective. But not from theirs. Not from theirs at all. You know, um, when Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, the Thessalonians are they're just a wonderful church body, and he, and he says that, that the Macedonians are speaking of you, and they tell us how you've... I can't read my own writing. I don't need it. <laughs> they tell us how you turned from God to idols to serve the living and the true God. They turned to God from idols. Hey, that's what Gentiles were doing. That's what Gentiles were doing. We're, we were in Corinthians this morning uh, toward the end of Sunday school, and, and Patrick shared a verse with us that was 
talking about the fact that um, there was someone that was living in such a state of fornication, of immorality, it was something that not even the Gentiles would do, right? Not even the Gentiles would do that. The Gentiles would, were known for this kind of immorality. So he tells them to avoid that, not to do that. It's a command. Avoid immorality and avoid idolatry. They, they would have turned to God from idols. Don't get involved with things sacrificed to idols. It might suck you back in. You might find yourself, as the Jews found themselves, going back and adding gospel plus. You might find yourself adding something to the gospel. And we see that, don't we? Culturally, we see that. In, in, in cultures around the world, the gospel will come in and then people will bring stuff and attach this to it, and attach that to it, and attach that to it. And before you know it, you've got this thing that isn't even recognizable as a church. You've got a bunch of people meeting together in this club, and I don't know how many of them would be saved if you really got down to it. And I'm not naming denominations or, 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 or cults here, but you know what I'm talking about here. So he gives them these two commands, avoid idolatry and immorality. And then these, these instructions that would promote unity, these concessions, as Warren Wearsby call it, calls them. Things that they would willingly abstain from, the eating of blood and the eating of animals that were strangled. Now you've got to put yourself back in that culture. There's a church family, Jews and Gentiles alike, meeting together, and they're, they're going to have a potluck like we have. And those Jews got a strict dietary code, and you got these Gentiles bringing all kinds of stuff in there. That would be the cause for some tension, right? Some difficulty, some struggle. So he says, avoid those things. And they don't look what it's what look what they say about it. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. You know, that principle is carried on later in the New Testament. In Romans 14, 15, it says, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. And it's, and it's talking about what, what you eat with regard to the things you eat. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. That's the principle that the apostles and the elders and the church at Jerusalem is laying before these Gentile believers. what it says in verse 30. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Praise God. We're saved. We know we're saved. This gives us confidence in our salvation. The Jerusalem church is affirming we're brothers with them. Praise God. And we know how to interact with one another without stepping on each other's toes, without causing one another to sin. Praise God. And then it goes on to say that Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with, with a lengthy message. After they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. They were probably rejoicing when they sent them out. Thanks for coming. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. Now I'm going to finish this message where I began. 
talking about the pergamatory bird refuge. The migratory bird refuge. And not being able to see your way from here to there with regard to your relationship with God. And I don't know where you're at with the Lord. You may have yet to trust Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. You may have heard a hundred different messages, a hundred different ideas, a hundred different views. You might be trusting in your intellect, in your thoughts, in your ability to... All, all kinds of things. But you need to trust Jesus. Your faith can't be in your faith. Your, can't be, your faith can't be in your intellect. Your faith can't be in your power, your strength. Your faith needs to be in the person of Jesus Christ. And you can trust Him today. If you've got questions about that, see me or Patrick at the end of the, at the, end of the service. Patrick, if you just stay up here, just stay sitting up here toward the end of the service, and I will as well. I'm not expecting. I don't know. But if someone has questions about how can I be right with God, how can I be saved, and you want to talk to someone about that, would you stay up here? Brother and sister in Christ, you might be thinking, I've been a long ways away from the Lord. As I listen to this message, some conviction has come over me. I need prayer. I recognize that I've spoken the truth, but I haven't spoken the truth in love for a long time. And, and, and the things I've shared have been destructive and not helpful. Or, or any other point of the message, I don't know what the Lord has done with this message. I don't. But Patrick and I are going to stay up here for that as well. If you want prayer, you want someone to talk to about those things, if we're not the Holy Spirit, we're not God, but we, we want to make ourselves available. I want to make us available <laughs> for that. So at the end of the service, we're just going to stay sitting up here. And if you want to come and talk, there's an office over there we can go and talk in, whatever it might be. Let me close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what the Jerusalem church wrote to their Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ in those faraway places, their acceptance of them, their acknowledgement that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that because those believers had done that, they were joint heirs. And maybe, maybe even their thoughts weren't that far along yet, Lord, but they accepted them as brothers and sisters. Thank you for that truth. And it bolstered their confidence. And it did so many other things for them, Father. Help us, Father, this week as we leave this place to speak the truth and to speak the truth in love with these goals in mind, these goals that we had before us this morning to remove any or to avoid any confusion, to see those opportunities as opportunities to express genuine concern not to highlight our intellect, but to express genuine concern. To instill confidence in the person asking the question. That they can know you. That they can get their relationship with you right. And for the promotion of unity within the body. Father, help those goals to be in our mind. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.